here on a uh, Sunday afternoon. Pete Stanton taking you through the day. And uh, sitting opposite me, well, who else? But two re- very reasonable people. In fact, <laughs> extremely reasonable people. <laughs> Samuel, Pastor Samuel from Reasonable Christianity and a leader who's even more reasonable. <laughs> Welcome. That's good stuff. I've had a good teacher, I have to say. <laughs> lovely to be here and lovely to be able to uh, to chat to you again. We had a, a great session last week with um, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit and uh, that did, uh, did get a bit of conversation going and a couple of people dropped in to check us out and uh, have a bit of a chat to Samuel. So that was really good fun, wasn't it, last yeah, week? Yeah, it was good. It's good. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about something a little bit different. So the question this week, Samuel, is if God knows in advance everything that will happen, every choice that I will ever make, then isn't it, then isn't everything in my life sort of fated to occur? For example, if God knows in advance that I will have pizza for dinner tomorrow, then can I be free to choose a chicken? <laughs> How could I do anything else since God knows and has predicted what I would do? So, yeah, do and God, you know, He just cannot be in error, can He? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Wow. It's one of those. You get a bit of a. That's, it's a curled one. It is a curly one. So yes. like a bit of a sh- curly question. <laughs> and but what is beautiful about these questions? Because these these are the questions that are on everybody else's mind mm. when they think of God. Okay, which is in a way uh, when he, somebody has not had really a sort of an experience of God. There's a degree to know God intellectually. And there's a degree to intellectually, but I mean, you sort of the idea of God makes sense to you, okay? Intellectually, you go, ah, well, the idea of God makes sense, and I believe it because it makes sense. And there are people who just, their knowledge of God is because they've had an experience with God, okay? An experience that, can, that they cannot deny, and no one else can deny it for them. So it's veridical, as they'll say at this in philosophical term, that it's a proper basic belief. The belief that the external world is real, for example, is a proper basic. Uh, that, that I'm not in a dream. Right now I'm actually talking to a leader, so this is not a dream. Yeah, I I'm believe this person. is real. Yeah. And, and think about it. What kind of arguments can you have to try to show that this is real? Mm. You know, this is just simply what is called a proper basic belief. It's a, 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 it's, yeah, so you go into that, those, those areas where you know, when you, your belief can be because you know something intellectually to be true, you process it with your mind, or you just know it experientially, that this is my experience, it is true, okay? So, those are the two ways people come to the knowledge of God. And so that's one thing. And the other thing is that people know to be true is that we are free people. Like right now, you, you do know that you can choose whether you're going to have pizza or you're going to have chicken. If somebody told you, you oh, no, you, did, you didn't choose that, you could just tell, turn around and say, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to change my choice right now. <laughs> and so we, we know intuitively that we're free. And so a lot of people have um, interacted with this question. Uh, the question is actually the way the questioner is asked, and thank you for asking such a deep question, but it's asked in a very basic terms. And it's, it's interesting because very often we get questions like that. The deep theological and philosophical question. Now, what I say theological, I mean it's questions that are deep within the understanding of God and the frame of how the world works. Okay. When I say philosophical, I mean deep thinking. Mm. See, we, we live in sometimes in a society where deep thinking is a bit... You know, we can go about, you know, you know, sort of quick chats. You know, when I was in England, we, uh, they used to say we, we talk about only two things, the weather and the weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very shallow conversations. <laughs> so when you meet people, small talk is, yeah, isn't it awful weather today? Mm. And tomorrow, oh, yeah, it's so wet and it's really horrible. And, and that's the ongoing conversation. And when it's a little bit of sun, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just, you know, those in the UK, hi, you know, you know, <laughs> we in Australia, it's sunny, uh, even when it's winter, it still gets a uh, nice sun. Um, so sometimes you get small talks, how's the kids? Uh, how's grandkids? Okay, that's the end of the conversation. And, but deep conversation, ah, oh, okay, well, deep philosophical stuff we don't do. But yet every person 
walks around with these deep philosophical thoughts that they, and theological thoughts that they would like to have answers to. Mm. And sometimes, most of people have started asking this question when they were young. They were maybe, you know, 12 years old, and nobody provided a good answer, and then so they've quit. And so this question is very deep. You notice I haven't started to answer, answer the question no, directly. I'm doing this deliberately. <laughs> yeah. Because if I launch into the, the answer to the question, because of the depth of it, we have, you know, sometimes the listeners might just go, oh, oh, oh okay, we're too big, okay, I wish it was just simple and easy. I understand. Sometimes we've oversimplified things that we've taken away the foundational stuff that makes those things make sense. Mm. So that when you start to explain, the foundation is not there, the person does not know where to start, and they go, okay, no, that's too hard, walk away. And this is why, as a pastor, as a pastor, uh, I say to all our Sunday school teachers, don't oversimplify Christianity that it becomes hard when people grow up to not understand it. Many people have walked away from the faith because the story of Noah was too simplified. Mm. You know, people have walked away because, you know, some of the stories about Jesus were oversimplified. So you need to, you know, bring the, the story to the child level, but don't lose the, the meaning of the theological terms that they will need when they grow up to start basically interacting with Christian theology when they're sort of adult. So the question the questioner is asked, I'm going to put it in theological terms. It's like, okay, well, if God knows everything, and if he knows that I'm going to, you know, buy pizza tomorrow, am I free to get chicken? No? Mm. It says God can't, can't be mistaken, so do I have freedom or not? So this theological question, what they're asking is, how does God's foreknowledge Interact with human freedom. Okay? Mm. What is foreknowledge? Foreknowledge is knowing things before they happen. Yeah. Okay? So that's the question they're asking. Mm. If God knows things before they happen, am I free? Yeah? Okay. So let's try to look at, I, I like to, so let's, let's dissect these, the two terms and we see how we go uh, through this, this segment. When we say God is all knowing, what do we mean? Okay? Because if God knows everything, it means he knows things that have gone past, things that are happening now, and things that are going to happen in the future. That's what we mean by foreknowledge, right? Yep. Uh, no, not foreknowledge, but, you know, omniscience, God knowing everything. And so, but I think that you need to look at the proper definition of, uh, the proper Christian definition of omniscience is actually not what most people think. Omniscience is the ability to know all true propositions. Only all true propositions. Now you're asking, what yep. is that? Okay. You're seeing that on my face, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Peter's face. <laughs> yeah. So what that means is that a proposition is a declarative sentence. The sky is blue. It's a sentence. Mm. But the proposition is the content of that sentence. That sentence is saying something. The sky is blue. Let's say if I say that same sentence in French, le ciel est bleu. Okay. Now, the words I've used are not the same. Le ciel, the sky, is blue, et bleu. Now, I am using different words when you look at the alphabet, totally different words. Mm. But the content of the statement is still the same. Mm. So a proposition is the content of the statement I make. Give you another one. Uh, the uh, snow is white. Okay? Now, I know when I say snow is white, you can picturally see. And if I say la neige est blanche, I'm saying exactly the same proposition, but using two different sentences. Is that making sense? Mm. Okay. So, God knows every proposition that is true. If I say, let's say, for example, the sky is blue, God knows that statement to be true. If the sky was gray, that sentence would not be true. Therefore, God knows and only believes in that which is true, and he affirms that. So, in that sense, Statements are made in present tense and future tense. It will rain tomorrow. It's a sentence, 
which is a content in it. So, if it's going to rain tomorrow, God knows that. Okay? Whatever is being declaratively said and is true, God knows it. Okay? Now, let me now sort of tie, because we, before we go to sort of ne the next segment. Mm. God's foreknowledge does not imply determinism. The fact that God knows something does not mean that it is fated to happen. Okay. Let me show you what it is so I answer the question of the listeners. Mm -hmm. Consider God's knowledge being like a perfect weather barometer. Okay? A perfect weather barometer. That the barometer knows that it's going to rain tomorrow. If it's going to rain tomorrow, the barometer would know. And the barometer cannot fail. But you also know that the barometer is not causing the weather. It's right. not the barometer that makes the weather come. Yeah. Yeah. The fact, so I'm trying to separate for knowledge. We talk about divine providence afterward. Because yeah. there's a conflation of terms. So foreknowledge does not imply making it happen. So the fact that God knows what's going to happen tomorrow does not necessarily mean he's making it happen tomorrow. Okay? It's like if you take a, a, a barometer that can tell the weather perfectly. But the barometer doesn't cause the weather. No. So here's how you can sort of understand it. God for knowledge is in chronology prior to your choice. But it is your choices that determines what God knows. In other words, your choice is logically prior to God's knowledge. Okay. In other words, your choice explains what God knows. If you were going to get chicken, God would know that. If you were going to change and get Pizza, yeah. God would know that. In other words, God knows everything that is going to be true perfectly. Yeah. And so what most people do, we're going to get in a, in a sec segment, is they conflate foreknowledge and foreordination. The two different things in Christian theology. Yeah. So, so, so we're getting there? We are getting there. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to just let that sink in a little bit because I know that was, a, that was fairly big. Yes. Uh, well, just let that um, simmer in our minds as we listen to Chrissy Pierce singing My Help.
still there. That was really nice. Um, now, I've, uh, I think all our listeners will have had a little bit of time to um, to let that simmer, Samuel. Yes. And, uh, and maybe we could get into, you mentioned um, a couple of words there that uh, you might like to break down for us. Yes. Um, which was foreknowledge, God has foreknowledge. Yes. And, uh, and that's different from his foreordination. Yes. So let's unravel that a little bit and see what what we can find in the definition of, of how that works in our lives. Yeah, okay. Now, um, I was going to uh, say that the reason that this question is quite, quite uh, profound is because very early on from the Reformation period, uh, people like Martin Luther, uh, you know, who started triggered this entire revolution? Uh, uh, Reformation, Reformation, <laughs> revolution. Reformation that then ended up with you know what we call Protestantism today. So the, the Protestant movement uh, that broke away from the Catholic uh, Church uh, in the uh, 16th century, so 1500. Um, they all started to struggle with the idea: if God knows things, does that mean these things are fated to happen? Mm. So Martin Luther, for example, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, well, if God knows something, well, we can't just simply see it not happening if God foreknows it. Therefore, you know, for the freedom, uh, you know, human freedom is just illusory. It's just an illusion. And John Calvin, uh, who also is from the, you know, sort of uh, was from which you get the Reformed uh, uh, tradition, uh, you know, assessed this question and he came to the conclusion, no, the reason why... God knows or foreknows things because he has foreordained it. In other words, he knows only that which he has foreordained. He's said that this will happen. That's why he knows it will happen. Okay? So he starts with the idea that God set something in place and it's set. That's why he knows this will happen. Okay, So that, that from the Reformation tradition, there, that the struggle was there. Now, but I, I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking there are about about three views. But I, I'm wondering whether I could start to give those three, three views here now, or I need to go back and, def, and still define the terms so that it's a bit more clear. Let me let me go to the foreknowledge first. I want to define foreknowledge. So, in other words, let's ask the question of what does God know? Okay, there are three types of of what theologians have uh, at least uh, you know highlights to be the things that God knows. And and let me sort of give them to you. Uh, the first one uh, is what is called God's natural knowledge. Uh, what is this? This is God's knowledge of everything that is necessarily true. Okay? Two plus two equal four. That's a necessary true statement. You can't imagine or you can't see a world within which two plus two equal two and a half. Okay, yeah. two plus two equal four. That's a true statement. The statement like it is raining, either it is raining. If it's raining now, it's necessarily true. It's raining. You can't say ah, it's raining, but it's not raining. Either it is raining necessarily, or it is not. So those kind of truth, God knows the true, the truth that is necessary. This kind of knowledge is essential to God because everything that is happening right now that is true, God ought to know it. If He didn't know it, He wouldn't be God. But he, he created it anyway because he created the world with particular laws and particular ways that the world works. Yeah. So that's all part of that truth, isn't it? No, no, we're going to get to that. So ah. that, that is, that's, that's, a, that's good there. You've, you've gone into something else <laughs> that, is, that is part of what I'm going to look at. So okay. let's hold. The first thing is God's natural knowledge. God's knowledge of everything that is necessarily true. And that includes all the possibilities. Everything that could happen and anything, everything that is necessarily true right now. The second thing is that um, there is what is called God's free knowledge. And this would be God's knowledge of all contingently true proposition. In other words, by contingent, I mean things that are caused by other things. Say, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, who's the, the Prime Minister of Australia? Um, Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister now. But was it always fated that he would be prime minister? Well, is it necessary that Scott had to be prime minister? No, you could imagine, you could see a world within which he lost the election. Okay, so in other words, 
the things that happen caused by something else. If I pick up a phone and drop it, it falls. Why does it fall? Because I dropped it. Mm. It's not that the phone was going to just simply by itself lift it itself and fall off necessarily. What I'm saying is there are things that happen because somebody else made it happen. Okay? So this kind of contingent truth, God knows that too. Most of it because he makes it happen. That's what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Where God has created everything and there are things that he sets in place and he makes them happen. Of course, it's something you're going to make happen. You know that it's going to happen. Well, there are laws of gravity and the laws that, the, the yeah. laws that are, are just inherent in nature that can't be changed, really. Yeah, but now if you go back to that, then it becomes things that God knows because he set the laws and every mm. time these laws, uh, the conditions are met, that thing will happen. Yeah. So God knows that, okay? Yeah. But that, go, that goes in, in the part of God's, uh, you know, natural, uh, you know, knowledge, as, as I said earlier. So there's God's natural knowledge and there's God's free knowledge. Those are the two categories of knowledge. Now, let me put it in other terms. Uh, in other terms, you might say there are th God knows what could be, okay? And then God knows what will be, okay? What could be is all the natural knowledge and all the possibilities. What will be is that will happen because he's making it happen. But these are the two boundaries. Right in the middle, there is another set of knowledge called the middle knowledge, Middle knowledge, it's just because it's in the middle. It's, you've got the <laughs> yeah, natural knowledge. <laughs> so uh, you've got, you know, um, you know, God's free knowledge and God's natural knowledge. These are the two boundaries. God knows everything that could be and everything that will be. But here's another one. God knows everything that would be given a set of circumstances. Right. Okay? So he knows what could be possibility. Yep. He knows what will be, that which he will make happen. And he knows everything that would be. For example, we use this in our, in, our, in, in English all the time. Now, if I were a leader, I would do this. The reality is, uh, this, this is actually the best way to say it in English. Mm. Uh, because people say, if I was a leader. No, there's no place where I was a leader. But if I were a leader, I would do this. Mm. There's no to it. Okay, they call it subjunctive conditional. If I were Pontius Pilate, I wouldn't have put Jesus on the cross. Okay, if I were Judas, I wouldn't have sold Jesus. Mm. See that statement there? And so God knows what, you know, God, God would, okay, if, if a leader were in Judas's place, would a leader have sold Jesus? So God has got the natural knowledge, free knowledge, and middle knowledge. Okay, the reason for highlighting these different different type of knowledge, so you can see what it takes for an all-knowing being to know everything there is to know. Mm. Okay, so in that sense, once I've established the three sets of knowledge, let me now go back and, and show you different views there is on when it comes to the four knowledge of God. Okay, and now we interact with. Um, so the first one is what is called the. Um, Simple foreknowledge view. So, uh, no, no, no. Let's start with the you know, John Calvin's view, which I was saying. God decrees everything that will happen. Then because of his decree, then he knows it. What is he describing here? He's just simply describing the knowledge. Mm. Okay. By just simply looking at God's providence and foreknowledge in terms of foreordination. He sets it in place. That's why he knows. Okay, that's what we call uh, God's, um, uh, you know, free knowledge. Okay. Now, the second one is open view. Open view, held by a number of Christian theologians, is that God not, uh, does not know the future. He only knows all the possibilities. But he does not know what will happen because you're free. You could choose chicken or, or pizza Pizza's tomorrow. Like God has got no idea. Just simply sit there thinking, knowing our leader, it might go 50% chicken or 50% <laughs> pizza. Or it could be 90% pizza. You know, just... And we human beings sometimes can sort of make those kind of guesses, okay? It's like, okay, knowing Peter, I'm sure he will go with this length of time or that one. Or, you know, he could go with, I don't know, if you, if you ask in my, in my household, you know, my, my wife would know, if I cooked Samuel Fufu or I cooked him, you know, broccoli, um, he would 100% go with Fufu, okay? <laughs> and she can that predict one. that, okay? <laughs> so, 
open, you know, you know, the open view and this, uh, you know, Calvin, uh, you know, the reformed tradition view, they basically the same, you know, they, they're sort of two ends of the same stick. Mm. Their assumption is for God to know something, he has to have foreordained it. He has to have planned it, otherwise he does not know it. Mm. Okay. Now, this, of course, this is not true because what? This particular belief is in contradiction with Scripture. If God foreordains everything, then God is the author of sin. And the Bible says God is not the author of sin. If God knows everything and whatever is going to happen is what he has foreordained, if he didn't foreordain it, he wouldn't know it. And so now, if I, if I commit a sin tomorrow, like the fact that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did God set it up so they would? And if that's the case, if he set it up so they would eat the fruit, why would he then punish them for that? Why would you kick him out of the garden? Mm. It makes God unjust. Yeah. Like if you set me to do that, and you knew I was going to do that, mm. how are you then going to sort of punish me for it? That's absolutely no. And scripture says God is not the author of evil. Mm. Did God set Judas up to go and betray Jesus? Did, did Peter, was Peter fated to deny Jesus? That becomes sort of deeper theological questions. You, you see that, yeah? Yeah, yeah? And so I cannot go with these two views because they contradict scripture. Mm. God is not the author of evil. God doesn't tempt anyone and can't be tempted by anyone. And so, because of that, these particular two views basically violate Scripture. I mean, John, John Calvin is just absolutely mistaken on this one. Okay? Mm. Now, <laughs> and it's okay to say that theologically, it's, it's no problem. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't respect, you know, the, the, the Reformed tradition. I re- Some of my, 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 my heroes, the, theologians, are Reformed theologians. Like, for example, uh, R.C. Sproul, who's he's, he's passed on now, is with the Lord, an amazing theologian. So, these are the two views that I think I want us, just let that simmer than the, the sort of the, the you know, God foreordains, he knows it because he foreordains it, or God does not know anything, you know, he just simply knows the possibility. Those are the two views. And then I'm going to give you the two more when we come back, then you sort of have a bit more regular role. Mm. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so while we're simmering on that little part of uh, <laughs> what Samuel's talking about, we're going to listen to Hillsong Young and Free. Oh, they're free, Samuel. Singing. <laughs> free, <laughs> yeah, singing Love Won't Let Me Down. Searching, your love was never far. You made a way to get to me. You were the whisper leading me to your heart. Come to you. Now I can see clearly why God you for me. You won't let go. Love won't let me down. And I know it's you. Yeah, I know that you're. Say 
never fail I want all of you, you'll never change Your love won't let me down Love won't let me There you go. That was an abrupt little finish. Ah, Samuel, you always say that Christianity is a thinking person's religion. I yep. like the way that you you expand on that, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, because there's, it's not simple. Um, though at the end of the day, it is simple if if you like. Yeah. But um, there is so much to unpack yes. when you're trying to understand yes. um, God and who God is. Yeah, so yeah, I'll yeah. let you continue with unpacking the whole thing around foreknowledge and foreordination. Okay. So. I gave you two, two um, point of view that I want you to remember. The Reformed tradition holds that God knows things because he is foreordained. He's predestined them to happen that way. That's why he knows them. And they can't go any which way because he has set it up uh, to, to, to happen that way. That's why he knows it. And there's the other view, which is basically the other end of the same stick, which is the open view, which goes that God does not know the future. Uh, he knows only the possibilities. And then, uh, you know, we just see things play out. And, and so he can sort of predict, but the same way we human beings would be. You know, okay, knowing that person, okay, on a probability, maybe 90%, 50%, uh, it depends. So and he, w- he would be responding to our decisions then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, how, how can after he plan the, the history? After the fact, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. How can he even plan the history? Like, I'm going to, Alita's going to go there. She might have pizza. She might have chicken. I don't know. Knowing her, it's more likely to be chicken, but... You never know. Yeah? Mm. I mean, if that was what God knew, it wouldn't be God. Yeah. Okay? He wouldn't be God. And so then the next one is what is called a simple foreknowledge view. Now, you encountered this view when I started up from the beginning. Because I did say something uh, in, in this sense. I did say that, you know, God's knowledge is like an infallible weather barometer. Mm. In other words, on this view, God... F- foreknows everything, but it is not his foreknowledge that is causing things to happen. He cannot fail to not know things that are true, that are going to happen, but the fact that he knows it does not mean he made them happen. That's what this simple foreknowledge view is. It means God does not determine the future. People are free, but he He knows whatever they will, they will do. So, as I was saying, God's foreknowledge, therefore, is chronologically, by chronology, you know, chronos means time. You know, it's 10 now, it's going to be 11, it's going to be, oh, it's 12 now, we go headed to 1, yeah. and then it's going to be 12. So this is the way you look at the chronos, chronology. And so when I said logically prior, I meant the explanation of what happened chronologically. So let me show you what I mean. I mean by, like, okay, if you're going to eat pizza tomorrow, God knows that today. He knows it, he knows it chronologically. But because God knows everything that is true, and if it is true, you're going to have pizza tomorrow, and God cannot fail to not know it, therefore, he will know that you will have pizza tomorrow. So your choice informs what he knows. That's what I mean by logically prior. So your choice informs God's knowledge, and God's knowledge happens before your choice. So that's sort of the, the way it goes that way. Okay, so your choice is what informs his knowledge. That's his for, simple foreknowledge here. But you see, this view here takes God's planning of history out of God's hands. Mm. And if you read the Bible, the Bible repeats this over and over and over again that God knows everything. Think about it. When um, um, uh, Stephen was put before the Sanhedrin, this is the act of the apostles. Yeah. He makes quite an interesting. No, no, it's actually, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, no, no, it's Peter. It's Acts ch- chapter two somewhere, there, where he makes the the case that, you know, wisdom that the the, king, the princes and kings of this world never knew, uh, because no, that's Apostle Paul. If they knew, they would not have crucified the King of Glory. And 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 uh, you know, Stephen makes the same case that you did exactly what God had set in place that it will happen. So when God sends Jesus. He sent Jesus to die. It wasn't like a, on a realm of probability, will he die or will he not die? So God has got capacity to plan human history uh, from creation to redemption to the final things, like the doctrinal last things. So all the first three views that I gave you struggles with explaining God's providence and God's planning of history. So there's the last view, which is, I think, uh, the most consistent view. 
you will know this because I gave you three sets of type of knowledge. Mm. Natural knowledge, all the possibilities, free knowledge, all the actualities, everything that will happen, and middle knowledge, everything that would happen. So, what is this? This was developed by a counter-reformer, uh, you know, Jesuit priest called Louis Molina, um, who established these three categories of knowledge uh, in what God knows, and it makes, it makes more, more sense. What Louis Molina uh, uh, posits is that not only does God know all the possibility, so every possible world that could be made, God knows it. You can imagine a world within which, you know, Samuel was not a preacher, was just simply an MMA fighter, champion of the world. Can't you can imagine that. Okay. <laughs> Used to be one of my passions. Um, so God knows all the possibilities. And God knows the actuality. God knows, okay, Samuel is the pastor of our church right now. He knows that, right? Yeah. But also God knows what we say, what Samuel would do if he is put in freedom-permitting circumstances. Mm. So if I give Samuel all the freedom and I put him in the set of circumstances within which he is totally free, what would he do? So God knows what would happen if he had to place you or me or any other person he has created in a set of circumstances. And so then... If he wants to get to the finality of history, he creates people who are free, whose reaction within freedom-permitting circumstances he knows. And then he creates those circumstances that are freedom-permitting for these people to be free to make those choices. Is that what you call the destiny of a person? Like people talk about that's something people struggle with, you know, their, their destiny. Yes. So it, it's something that's inherent in you and God places things... Um, in a certain order in your life, experiences and everything else, to bring you to that place where he needs you to, to be because yes. you're part of that process. Yes, so in a way, what you can see is that, you know, uh, as you're saying, if, if there is something that God has made Samuel to be a pastor, okay? And so God sets in place circumstances that while I am free within those circumstances to make the choice of becoming the pastor I have become. So, Along the way, God plans it, but also along the way, I am free to make those decisions. So, God's foreknowledge, God's foreordination, and my freedom are all together preserved, so the full wealth of biblical tradition is sustained. God sent his son to die, and so he put, he made people who, within freedom-permitting circumstances, like Peter, like Judas, like uh, Pontius Pilate, who made those decisions freely. Pilate was very free to let Christ go or to put him on a cross. He was free, and within those circumstances, God knew that Pilate would freely choose to put Jesus on the cross. So then Pilate becomes this sort of, it's like, it's like when you have, um, uh, you know, a, a, a theater, a movie is happening, and you've got the script. But the people within the script are free while going through the script freely. This is how God plans human history. So if you're going to have pizza tomorrow, <laughs> okay? I'm going to have chicken. <laughs> yes. So God would know that. And that's just a question of what he foreknows. I mean, does God determine whether you should have pizza? Well, if God knew that you having, you having chicken might start causing you health problems and he wouldn't want you to have those kind of health problems, uh, he might put you within freedom permitting six, permitting circumstances that will cause you to go for chicken rather than pizza. And so what I'm saying is, think about it this way. I'm trying to sort of, we don't have middle knowledge, but I'm trying to simulate something you can see. You know, I see a leader's going toward a direction that might sort of, Cause him some hurt, okay? Uh, cause her some hurt. And I'm thinking Alida's better on going into that direction here. Now, knowing Alida, if I put her in these kind of circumstances, she will choose to go that way rather than go and hurt herself. So, I place her in those freedom-permitting circumstances. She goes, oh yeah, well, I'd rather go that way. So, what it is, is God gives you the freedom, he plans the future, and then you get there. Let me give you an example. Just indulge me for two minutes. I want to give you just an example that that will show you the breadth of God's knowledge. It will impress you. I, I guarantee you. David says that God knew him from the time he was formed in his mother's womb. Mm. Yeah? 
That's how David basically puts it in Psalm 139. Apostle Paul makes the same case in Galatians. When it pleased the one who had knew me and set me apart from my mother's womb, when it pleased, it pleased him to reveal himself to me. So we understand from a Christian's theological point of view that every human being on this planet is not an accident. God decided that you'd be born. Now, let's take a, a set of a, a, an example. For you to be born, what does it take? It takes your mom and dad. And they have to freely love each other. And they have to get together on a particular moment of sort of intimacy for one particular seed out of millions of seeds swimming across the pool to try to get to the, you know, the egg. For, for, for you, to, if it was another seed, it would not be you. No. But you see, for you to happen, God therefore is going to put you, mom and dad, in freedom-permitting circumstances with this kind of makeup where your mom would respond to your dad's love, Right? And that will, that's what will basically make you to be born. Now, let's go one step back. You had to do the same with your grandparents. You had to, from either side. Yeah. You had to do with your great-grandparents. Great-great-great-grandparents. So to plan the, the existence of one human being on the planet, it requires a huge body of planning and preparation on the part of God to make that happen. Only an omniscient being can make something like that happen. So God's foreknowledge is not just simply God's natural knowledge or God's free knowledge. God knows what could happen. He knows what will happen. But also he knows what would happen if he created and put people in freedom-permitting circumstances. Right. <sighs> <laughs> it does your head in a little bit, Samuel. It, it, it should. It should. Otherwise, it would not be God. And uh, let this draw you toward you know, sort of understanding Christian theology. It's great. All right, well, we're going to mull that one a little bit too and listen to Lauren Daigle as she sings Once and for All. God, I give you what I can today These scattered ashes that I hid away I lay it all your feet From the corners of my deepest shame The empty places where I've worn your name Show me the love I say I believe Oh help me to lay it down Oh, Lord, I lay it 
Altering discussion around <laughs> uh, around uh, what God knows and what uh, and and how God knows it, and uh, it's been really fascinating. And uh, Samuel, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about um, the experiences they've had in their life. Obviously, they've made poor choices, and but um, I'm I'm a great believer in nothing's ever wasted. <laughs> um, yes. But but it, it all it, it it seems like even though they've gone this particular way, what they've learned in those situations seems to assist them in what God reveals to them further on. So since that sort of thing is the case, how does God foreordain things in people's lives? Well, actually, because this leads us to sort of a good segue into sort of the application of God's foreknowledge. You know, we started from a simple question as, does God know I'm going to have Peter or not? Yeah. And then we've ended up deeply in the Christian theology, which is good. Now, it goes to the application. Let me give you three points that will give you really sort of peace and an assurance uh, in the way God basically works with your life. Number one, seeing that God knows all the possibilities, natural knowledge, and he knows all the actualities, you know, all the, what will happen. And then God knows everything that would happen, you know, given wherever you are, your set of circumstances you find yourself in. What it tells us, therefore, is that nothing surprises him. Yes, that's right. You know? Now, there's that song that says nothing takes you by surprise. Mm. Nothing takes God by surprise. Like some, you know, one of the things that you know we human beings like, oh, something happens. We surprise. We didn't see that happen. We didn't see that coming. Where we say, but for God, nothing takes Him by surprise. He knows everything that could happen, everything that will happen, and everything that would happen. So He knows everything, and so you can rest assured. Think about the kind of assurance. It gives you that there is nothing in your life that will take him by surprise. Mm. Now, to me, that is, if you knew somebody who knew everything and nothing took them by surprise, because, oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, 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 I, knew, I know how to deal with that one. Wouldn't you follow them? Leads me to the second step, which is since we are free, when we try to apply our freedom with a small set of knowledge we have, we wonder what will happen. What will happen? What could happen? What would happen? We, have, we don't have as, as that much. And guess what triggers that? What, what comes as a consequence? We get anxious. Yeah. We get anxious. We get worried. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what could happen. We don't know what would have happened if we did things differently. But God knows all that. So which means following him not only gives you the peace, but he gives you the, you know, the compass. Like I've, you know, I've started to sort of, you know, do a, a sort of a new, uh, something in a new line of work in a new sort of, you know, sort of organization. And we get given a sort of a mentor and a buddy. And so when you're walking in, you, 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 are anxious. You don't know what, how, what, how does this work? How does it work? What your mentor and your buddy tells you, say, no, it's okay. This works like that. If you see this happen, it means that and it will trigger this or trigger that. So all that I, I noticed that during the entire day when I was doing the day, I'm looking at the reaction. I'm looking at the responses, my mentor or my buddy, because they know the environment and I don't. Okay? And it's the same in martial art, wherever. So if you have somebody, if you get on a plane and you have a pilot and you see all these many buttons, you don't know which one to press. And a pilot is sitting and says, no, don't worry. Press that one. Press this one. Press this one. You know? So... So I said, nothing catches God by surprise. Should we give you peace? Number two, since you're free, it pays to follow him. Number three, his love is steady. Mm. There is nothing new you will ever do that he does not know. Which should take you away from uh, living with regret. Because, yep. because if you know that God loves you in spite of all the things that oh, he knew yes. you were going to do, yeah. then those regrets aren't there. Think about it. I'm anxious. There are things that I might not know if I did whether you would still accept me, right? Exactly. I'm sure you would have the same feeling. So we sort of tip it around. You want to not, not upset anyone. But God, yeah. he knows everything that you could do, everything that you will do, and everything that you would do. Mm. 
and still in spite of all that he loves you he loves you yeah. oh wow mm. now that that's my heading mm. because god is amazing his love is incommensurable his love is you know is incomparable and with that in mind he's planned your life he's made you free mm-hmm. and at the end of your story he wants you to come to know him to know christ I like the way Apostle Paul says it. God made all human beings and decide where they will live and the place where they, they will be put so that they will seek him and find him. Mm. So wherever you are right now, God has placed you exactly where you ought to be to seek him. And so if you seek God, when you, when you sin, don't run away from him. He knows it. If you are down and you're feeling depressed, don't run. Talk to him. Because he knows it, and his love doesn't change. People who run away from God have run away from the very source of their very life. Mm. So this application is, God is who to run to. Run to Jesus. That's all you, what you ought to do. And that's the gospel. Amen. So thank you again for uh, listening to us today. And, um, <laughs> and we will be having a meal at, uh, at Ark Church at 402, what's, what's the number again? Two, 237, 237 High Street, High Street yep. um, at 3.30 today and a, a service at 5. So if anybody wants to come along, please uh, let us know and come. And if I had French fries with my chicken, that would be great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and a great thank you to Pastor Samuel and Alita Robinson from A Reasonable Christianity who will be back with you next Sunday at 12.30.